Thanks for checking in on this podcast. You are about to hear an inspirational teaching from Caris Ministries. If God has used this ministry to bless you in any way, please take a moment and write to us at amen at charis.org. We are always inspired and blessed to hear how God is blessing people all over the world through what he is doing here at Caris. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at charis.org so we can continue making podcasts such as this available free of charge. Your word says, O oh God, the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. For I'm a stranger on this earth. Guide me according to your word. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against you. You spoke your word and you lightened Israel. And your spirit entered into us. Your spirit entered into me when you spoke to me. As we hear your word, Holy Spirit, enter into us. Fall on us afresh. Come upon us in a unique way. We pray that, Lord, you will grant us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. That the eyes of our hearts being enlightened, we will know the hope of our calling. We will know the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. And we will know, Lord, the power that is at work towards us who believe. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alright, last week I picked up on how, because the Bible is inspired, its genuineness is credible. Okay, or its genuineness is authentic, it's real, it's genuine. Right? It's got genuineness because it's inspired. Who inspired it? Bible says that all scripture, we can't go away from this text. In First, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. That's already out loud from the screen. Given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness. Hallelujah. All scripture. How many scripture? All right. It's not like some people wrote and God inspired it. And it's not like somebody decided to put something together and God said, this is good enough. I'll make it my word. All right. So it's not the writing of scripture that was in, just inspired. It is the actual wording, every aspect, all of it, God gave. So it's, it's not like God breathed into them to write. God breathed out scripture. Right. God breathed it out. So all scripture is given by Theonopsis, the inspiration of God. So we say that because scripture is inspired, it has credibility. All right. Or it has genuineness. And then I, I went on to talk about its credibility. The credibility of scripture. The scripture has credibility. Jesus Christ referred to the scripture every now and then as God's word. Because Jesus said it. It is so. The apostles referred to the scripture of God's word as scripture. And there's so much evidence that showed that the scripture is inspired. And the New Testament witnesses the fact that the scripture is inspired the character of the writers the character of the apostles you can't say that these guys are fake they are genuine guys and then they are not complicated the simplicity of the new testament the simplicity of their writing and then the beautiful thing about the scripture is the harmony i'll, I'll go a bit more on 
harmony or the unity of scripture. But before I do that, let me pick up on the because it's inspired, it is credible, because it's inspired, it is genuine, because it's inspired, it is infallible. All right, I want to talk about infallibility. When we say something is infallible, which it means that it cannot err. It cannot have errors. It cannot. Infallibility of scriptures. Because if God gave it, then God will not give something that is imperfect. So some of you may come across the word, if you, if you type on Google, infallibility of scripture, Infallible scripture or infallibility. This is one of the things that will come up. Infallibility is the scripture. But there is another word which most are not also familiar with, which is the inerrant. It doesn't err. Inerrancy. Let's all say inerrancy of scripture. Say it again. So inerrancy of scripture. So when we say something is inerrant, it means it's without error. The difference between inerrancy and infallibility is Inerrancy is being without error. Infallibility cannot have error. There are two different things. Do you understand that? So there are some people who actually prefer the infallibility of scripture, but they say inerrancy, you know, if you talk about the scripture, it's inerrant. They can't say it's without error because like I cited last, last week, First Samuel chapter 15 verse 11 verse 27, one says that and God repented. Uh, 17 verses later, it says that God cannot repent. Alright, so people say, wow, you see, the scripture, yes, there are some errors, they, they contradict itself. In James chapter 2 verse 24, it says that you cannot be saved by faith alone. Faith must have works, faith and works, so that justified. He said that you see then that man is justified by works and not faith alone. But in Romans chapter 3 verse 28, talks about how it is by faith. Therefore, we, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Faith alone, without works, justifies us. But James said you cannot be justified by faith alone. You need works. Right? So then people look at this, and then the skeptics say, they see that the scripture has errors. Because it contradicts itself. The problem there, as I told you, the Sadducees came to Jesus to try and ask him a question with respect to resurrection and marriage. So they're thinking that they were very wise. Jesus told them that you err because you do not know the scriptures. Right, so sometimes people think they are very wise and try to pick on some things in the scripture, but actually they make a display of their ignorance. Right, so this is not contradiction, it's not contradiction at all. James was talking about faith. When you have faith, the evidence of faith, you see the actions because faith is an action faith. All right, faith by itself has words. So when you read Hebrews chapter 11, where we have the album of faith. In, in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11 is the album of faith. You can tell Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, by faith the elders obtained. Okay, so uh, he didn't really do anything, they obtained. Then he breaks it down, verse 4, by faith, Abel offered. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch was translated. Now, but he didn't do it, he was translated. And he, because before he was translated, he has the testimony that he, he, he pleased God. Then 6 says that without faith, it's not possible to please God. Alright, so 6 truths a light, a light on verse 5. That the guy pleased God so much that God said, come, you will see that. What every normal, beast undergoes, you, uh, normal human being undergoes, you will not undergo it. Alright, so by faith. And then we talk about the 7. By faith, Noah obeyed. By faith, Noah being one, he was moved with fear. So he did something. Verse uh, 8. Abraham, by faith, Abraham obeyed. 
Verse 11, by faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive because she judged. Alright, so by 17, by faith, Abraham offered. So, it's some actions. In Mark chapter 5, verse 30, 31, 32, the Bible talks about the, the woman with the issue of blood. She came behind the press and touched the garment. Jesus told her, who touched me? She was hiding later on. She came and said, I, verse 34, Jesus said, your faith has made you. What is the faith? The action, she touched something. Blind Bartimaeus, Jesus was passing. Mark chapter 10, verse 46, down was, Jesus was passing. He started making noise, screaming. Jesus said, have mercy. They said, shut up. He said, no, I won't shut up. He screamed out the more. Jesus turned. He said, bring him. When he came, Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Alright, so what did Jesus see for him to call it faith? The actions. The actions. So faith in itself, that's what James meant. James says faith definitely must have works. So we are justified by faith that has works. If you say the faith that saves is a fide viva. You remember, it's faith, a living faith and it's an action faith. You give faith to your faith and for it to be actually a living faith. A dead faith does not have actions. Which is different from when the Bible is talking about in Romans chapter 3 verse 28 that it is our faith in God that saves us. Not like trying to tick all the boxes. So not the acts of our have done this. That shall not do this. I have done this. I shall have not. That shall do this. I have shout. And no, that, that is not what saves you. But just your faith. Solar fide. Your faith alone in Christ is what brings you salvation. And the faith in Christ will always show by your actions. That's what he's trying to say. But people err because they do not know the scriptures. So they say the scriptures has errors. The scriptures are are not infallible. But I'm here to submit to you that that the scriptures are infallible and inerrant. Shout hallelujah. So the scriptures are inerrant. Because they are inspired, they are inerrant. I don't think I will stop quoting certain scriptures when it comes to teaching on the Bible as God's word. Scriptures like Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. It's such a huge and a powerful scripture. Where Jesus says that, I say to you, to heaven and earth, not even one jot or one tittle by no means pass from the law till it's fulfilled. Remember, I calls it the law. From, say, from the law. Say, from the law. Praise the law. Mark chapter 12 verse 26. It says that, but concerning the dead, that they rise, have you not read? It's talking about scriptures. But the book of Moses particularly was referring to the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. as the Pentateuch written by Moses. Alright, so that's what it meant by the book of Moses. But in Jewish times, they used the phrase, the book of Moses, to refer to the Bible as a, as a matter of fact. And sometimes you read earlier on the law. The law is used to refer to the scriptures. And sometimes they use the law actually to refer, very interestingly, the law to refer to the Psalms. The Psalms, as it, as it said in the law. And when you check what was written in the law, it was referring to what's said in the Psalms. So I'm talking about in Old Testament times, they refer to the scripture as Jesus said, the scripture cannot be broken. The scripture sometimes is referred to as scriptures. Other times it's scripture. But that's fine. It's the same thing. The scripture in John chapter 10 verse 35 and the scripture cannot be broken. They refer to the scripture sometimes as the book of the law or the book of Isaiah, the prophets or the book of the prophets. Luke chapter 4 verse 17. When Jesus went to the temple when he returned from the wilderness and Bible says that he was handed what? The book of the prophets. He was handed what? The book of the prophets. Alright, the book. That's where the Greek word, the actual word translated book is Biblion. 
All right, which is an offshoot of Biblios. Biblios is what we get the word Bible from, which is Biblos. B-I-B-L-U-S. Biblos. Biblos has to do with our another way word for it, the Pipros. They, those times they used to write on Pipros. So when they were talking about Biblos, which is described, which says book, that's where the word Bible. So when you want to read the book of Isaiah, it has book. We don't read the book of Moses. It's book. So it's the Greek word Biblios that became Bible. But originally it actually means book. And the Bible is the book. Oh, you didn't get what I mean. The Bible is what? The book. Not a book. The book. This book of the law. The book. So it was referred to as the books of Moses, which is also called the law. And then so the three main sections of the Old Testament was the law, which is the book of Moses. And so that we have the law, the prophets, and the writings, which are sometimes called the Psalms. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Let's look at Luke 24:44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you. While I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which are written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. The Psalms concerning me. So that's the whole of the Old Testament, the scriptures. So that's the three sections of the Old Testament all put together. So sometimes this is how it is referred. And the New Testament is also referred as scriptures. Because Peter said in Second Peter chapter 3 verse 16, he says that as they do other scriptures. So talking about New Testament, it's often referred to as scriptures. Someone says scriptures. Let me go a little bit into this and explain. Because I'm picking on the Bible as the book. It's made up of two main sections. The word, old word, and the New Testament. The Old Testament and word, the New Testament. Why Testament? Testament simply means covenant. So the Bible is a book of covenants. But why Old Testament and New Testament? The Bible is not a history book. Even though it has historical facts and acute historical accuracy, it's not a history book. Because it doesn't say anything about Aristotle. It doesn't say anything about Plato. It doesn't, it doesn't say anything about Winston Churchill. Let's say Winston Churchill even lived earlier. But it doesn't say a, a, anything about Alexander the Great. The Old Testament is actually a record, okay, divine record, all right, of a family. <laughs> a family God chose for himself. <laughs> So he chose them. The Old Testament is filled filled with covenants. The first covenant of the Bible is the Adamic covenant. The second one is the Noahic covenant. When God made the covenant with Noah, he said that I make this covenant, I will never destroy the earth again. So Adamic covenant, then Noahic covenant, then Abrahamic covenant. That is what the Jews were built on. Abrahamic covenant. And then the Mosaic covenant. That's when the law was given after they were brought out of the house of Pharaoh or Egypt. God gave them a covenant. This is how we are going to, I'm going to be dealing with you. And the laws were enshrined in the covenant. Okay, The Mosaic covenant. That's why I said Moses said in the law. It is said by Moses. All right. So the Mosaic covenant. And then we have the Vedic covenant. He said from your house. Your throne. There shall never fail a man to sit on your throne. Forever. God made a covenant with David. That's why when blind by Tamayo saw Jesus coming in Mark chapter 10, he said, Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on him. As soon as he called him son of David, he activated covenant. So Jesus had to stop because someone has activated covenant. Shout hallelujah. 
He said, call that man for me. The man that is activating covenant, call him for me. One of the reasons why we give tithe is just to activate covenant, to keep covenant terms. And when you, when you, you keep covenant terms, you engage heaven. Because God is a covenant-keeping God. Hallelujah. And so, then, but the highest of all the covenants, which supersedes every of the covenants, was mentioned. Jeremiah comes up with, with a higher covenant, great covenant, above all. I mean, Abrahamic covenant is strong. Mosaic covenant is powerful. Davidic covenant, wow. When they mention David, actually, Israel, the star of David. I mean, David built Jerusalem. And, and you're talking about covenant, which is higher than David. Which one? He said that there's a new covenant coming. Hallelujah. So the new covenant, and it came by Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, verse 24, Jesus said that this is the new covenant. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 24, verse 20. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, saying what? Oh, please read it with me. Saying what? In my blood, which is shed for you. What did he say? This cup is the new covenant. In my blood. What in my blood? What in my blood? What in my blood? So this covenant is higher than Abrahamic, the Noahic, Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic covenant. The highest of all the covenants is the new covenant which we have been brought into. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, Bible says, Paul repeating what Jesus said, it was talking about the night he was betrayed. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the, the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Wow. That's why we talk about New Testament and the Old Testament. The New Testament, the new covenant is built. It's within the so it's a, it's a covenant. But watch this: the covenant and the book is what determines, tells you the terms of the covenant. So the book itself became the covenant. So the new covenant, the New Testament, and the Old Testament. Second Corinthians chapter three verse six. It talks about how who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. You see, so what we do, my job as a pastor, I'm I'm, I'm a minister of the new covenant. You are a minister of the new covenant. Shout hallelujah. That's why anybody at all can be saved. Anybody at all can come to Jesus. Anybody at all can be forgiven. Because that's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. The new covenant teaches us forgive one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. uh, Encourage one another. You know, bear with one another. Bear. That's a very good one. Bear with one another. Some people are overbearing, but bear with one another. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that, that's the, the new covenant. And it says that we, we have made us able ministers of the new covenant. In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 15, it talks about how Jesus Christ became the mediator of the new covenant. In Hebrews 9.15. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death. For the redemption of the, of the transgressions under the first covenant. You spoke about first covenant. Hallelujah. So the, the new covenant. We are in the new covenant. Who is the mediator of the new covenant? Jesus. Who is the mediator of the new covenant? Jesus. Praise the Lord. And then in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 24. It talks about we have come to the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 24. It says that to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. To the blood of sprinkle that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. I'm just trying to underscore the point that the Bible would reason when we say Old Testament and New Testament is because they are covenants. It's an old covenant and new covenant. Does that mean the old covenant 
is now obsolete. The Old Testament is not obsolete. The Old Testament was a shadow. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, 2, and 3, and so on. So it was a shadow pointing to whatever the New Testament is about to do. So watch this. The Old Testament is is revealed in the New Testament. You can understand the Old Testament better in the New Testament. And when you read the Old Testament, the New Testament is hidden inside it. So theologians put it this way. The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. Does that make sense? And we need both testaments. So if you want to see the the details, the details of the things we do in the New Testament, check the Old Testament, how God relates with his people. Much of praise and worship you can understand in Old Testament. Praise the Lord. Old Testament, they were sacrificing animals in the temple. Why don't we do that? Because Jesus has been sacrificed already. He said there's eternal sacrifice, so we don't need. He read the Bible. Read, it says, some people argue with that with such level of ignorance. In Hebrews chapter 10, particularly verse 4 and 3, it talks about the, the blood of bulls and goats it cannot wash us from our sins. Right? It was not possible that the blood of goods. That's what they were doing under the Old Testament. They're using the blood of goods. So but now we don't need blood. Why? Because he said, This is the new covenant in my blood. Why sacrifice again? What again? It has been done once and for all. Shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. hallelujah. That's why in the New Testament we talk about the cross. The cross is the, the altar. The cross is the sacrifice. The cross, everything happened at the cross. So with everything, watch this. Everything that came before the cross, the cross took care of it. And everything that comes after the cross, the cross has taken care of it in advance. Hallelujah. So in the Old Testament, they were forgiven on credit. Yeah. They were using credit card long time before they made credit card. They, they go to God and they swipe. So when you sacrifice a uh, goat, you sacrifice bull. Bull, what you do is you swipe and you are using a credit card. So you get the goose, but the, actually the, you haven't paid for it. So that's why in, uh, what we read right now in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, Jesus Christ came to pay. That's why the, in, in John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 36, when John saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. He actually is the one who clears the debt. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. of God, the lamb. He didn't say the son, the lamb, because you need the blood. So the lamb, in Revelation chapter 4, it says that I saw in the midst of the throne, the lamb that has been slain. The lamb, you need the blood of the lamb. God told Moses, when I see the blood, I will pass over. You need the lamb. You need the lamb. You need the lamb. You need the lamb. And so in the New Testament, the, the point of reference is the blood of the lamb. Because we understand by Hebrews chapter 9, verse 21 and 22, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Blood must flow for sin to be forgiven. Blood must flow for sins to be forgiven. And we understand in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 that the blood, the life of a thing is in the blood. And we understand by Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. So anyone who sin must, the soul that sins must die. The soul that sins must die. And so when you sin, you die. And how do you die? They must take away your blood because in, as I said in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 put it on the screen in Leviticus 17 11 for the life of the flesh where is it? it's in the blood so if we drain your blood we drain your life 
That is why it makes it clear in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 21 and 22, that there can be no, 21 particular, there can be no rebuke. said that, and according to the law, say the law. Say the law. According to the law. That is God's way of doing things. Almost all things are paid with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So in the Old Testament, they had to shed some blood one way or the other to be able to cover the sins, atone for the sins. But those ones were not good as we read because it is not possible. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4. It is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats. Hebrews 10 4. It is not possible. Say impossible. impossible. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It cannot work. So it didn't take away sin. It was just covering sin. They were forgiven on credit. And then the Lamb of God himself came to take away <laughs> Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. Say thank you, Lord. That is why it talks about in, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 particularly, it says that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. That the precious, we have been redeemed with, with, with the precious blood. Is he talking about blood? Because the life is in the blood. So he said that this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. The covenant was in the blood. And so he forgave those those in the Old Testament were forgiven on credit. And those in the New Testament, look at this. We have been forgiven in advance. Before you ever were born, your sins have been forgiven. The potential forgiveness of sin was waiting for you. Was waiting for you. But it didn't get actualized until you believe and confess. As soon as you believe and confess what was provided from the foundation of the earth and was manifested in time at the cross... Is activated and becomes your reality. And anytime as you walk with Christ, anytime you sin, in First John chapter chapter one, verse eight and nine, it says that verse nine says that for if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look at verse seven. Let me show you something. In verse seven quickly. In the verse seven, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from what all sin. Is the blood that cleanses? Is the blood that cleanses? Alright, so anytime as believers you fall to sin, you have to con- if you don't confess, unconfessed sins cannot be forgiven. Uh, what we say confess means that you are confessing and forsaken. Unconfessed sins cannot be forgiven. Let's all say that together. Stop telling me that oh, grace has done it all. Grace has done it all. The grace that it teaches us to, to stay away from sin. We are in a new covenant. We are in a new covenant. We are in a new covenant. And the covenant is speaking for you. This covenant is speaking for you. This covenant is speaking for you. This covenant is speaking for you. Shout, I am blessed. So the Bible is infallible. It's inerrant. Does that make sense? It's inspired and it's infallible. Because it's inspired, it's inerrant and it's infallible. But one of the things about inspiration... The history records of the Bible. Why is the Bible true? Because everything it says is true. Every histo- historic, historical record the Bible gives is accurate. A F- few years ago, they said there's nothing like pool of um, Bethesda. 
They said there's nothing like the pool of Bethesda. There's nothing like the pool of is it Siloam rather? Siloam. There's a Bethesda and a Siloam. They said there's no pool like that. So recently, archaeologists excavated, buried under the sun of time. The pool which the Bible has been speaking about. So archaeological records that are beginning to show, many more are yet to come, to show that what the Bible said is true. Are you getting what I'm saying? Archaeological record. Now, so when it comes to, first of all, historical records, somebody like Luke, when he was writing the book of Acts, the references he made, the titles he gave. If, when the Bible talked about Pontius Pilate, there was a Pontius Pilate. And that, at that time, Jesus was crucified. That was his actual title. The, the titles, like you go to a university campus, and the first day of the campus, you see you are able to address the uh, president, you are able to address rector, um, emeritus, or professor. Say, you are able to address everyone by their right title. It's a difficult thing to do. But all the and then some of the people, Roman generals, some of them were moving on up the ranks very fast. But every time the, the writer of the scriptures made, made reference to any personality, that it got the title accurately. Historic, historical, secular history attests to that. So secular history doesn't even conflict anything the Bible says. In other words, doesn't doesn't question bring into question anything the Bible says, so long as history is concerned. So its historical record proved that this Bible is true. It's infallible. Not only historical record, as I referred right now, it's archaeological records. Archaeology proves that the Bible is true. Next week particularly, I trust God to go into the, the prophecies and the miracles of the Bible. Years ago, it was believed by scientists. Actually, 2,000 years before Christ, he believed that there are 850 stars. 850 stars in the sky. And then, a few years down the line, another scientist disproved him that there are 1,022 stars in the skies. Then, a few years afterwards, another uh, scientist disproved the other one that there are 1,056 stars. And so, in those days, that was the acceptable scientific record. Scientific knowledge of the day. Now, like the way in these times, the scientific knowledge of the day is that there is a sun and there are planets moving around the, the sun. That's, that's scientific fact. Alright? But science keeps updating itself. Yeah. And so, then later on, in the 16, 1610, Galileo. Galileo invented the telescope and discovered there are thousands and thousands of millions of of stars. But all this, the Bible has already said it. That they are uncountable in numbers. So science just catching up with the scripture. And then, you know they believe that the earth was flat? Years ago, it was believed that the earth was flat. That if you travel beyond the coast of Gibraltar or the seas of Gibraltar, you fall. You fall. It was, you fall over. It was a scientific... It was generally accepted and believed scientific fact in those days. And then later on, it was discovered that the world is actually a globe. But before that, Isaiah has said it in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. Years before then, Isaiah has said that God sits on the circles of the earth. He says that, and it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. As I have said, this, the earth is a circle round. Before science discovered it. Now watch this. If Isaiah was writing with the knowledge of the day, he wouldn't have said circle. Yeah. 
That couldn't have been Isaiah. That was the word of God. Do you understand that? Because Isaiah would have... Now, it's very interesting. There's so many... Years ago, it was believed that the earth is being held in place by Atlas. That's why it's still called Atlas. Atlas. Atlas is the strong man who was. So, and that was the acceptable scientific knowledge in those days. And years later, someone said, okay, but, so what is Atlas standing on? And they said, okay, Atlas is standing on a very big elephant. I said, okay, so what is the elephant standing on? They said, elephant is standing on the sea of snakes woven together. So science could not find look at look at Job chapter 26. Job chapter 26 verse 7. Let's read it from the screen. Let's go. He stretched out the north over the empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Now Job wrote this over 4,000 years ago. Science was nowhere. Science was believing just a few years ago that the world was. Not hanging on anything. It's hanged on the shoulder of Atlas. That was a scientific fact. But Bible, because Job couldn't have known this. It was if he was operating by the wisdom of that day. Do you understand that? And talking about evaporation. The evaporation, how water evaporates and goes. Or how the globe moves on a circle. Okay. In Job chapter 38 verse 14. Job said that the globe spins. Alright. Job chapter 38 verse 14. Job 38 verse 14. Is someone with me? He said, it takes, it takes on the form like a clay under the seal and, and stands out like a garment. So, you see the way a clay is under a seal when you are making a clay, the way it spins. That's what he's talking about. The earth moves, spins, spins. And, and science later on discovered that the earth actually spins. It's not the sun that moves, but it's the earth that rotates on its axle and every 24 hours it goes it rotates one and every 365 days it goes round its orbits on the it sounds fine down later but bible has said already that the earth spins far before science discovered these things what are you talking about job chapter 26 verse 8 talking about evaporation evaporation science didn't know that the water because the waters are flowing to the river the river never gets Field, or the sea never overflows. Where is it going to? He, Job chapter 20. This is okay. This is the one he hangs. Yeah, he binds up the water in the thick uh, cloud and the clouds. You see, and so water in, water in the thick of the cloud. This is talking about evaporation. How water look at Job chapter 36 again. Job chapter 36, verse 27 and 28. Job 36, 27 and 28. For he draws up drops of water which. Distill as rain from the mist. Verse 28. 28. Which the clouds drop down and pour. This is scientific information. In those days, before science discovered evaporation. Now, how would Job... Job Job is a contemporary of Abraham Dems. So, it's believed that Job lived about over 4,000 years ago. I'm talking 4,000 years ago. Most of the major discoveries of science were just under 300 years ago. And it's 4,000 years ago, God was speaking. This is the word of God. This is the word of God. Shout hallelujah. Praise that. God knows what he says. Now, this is what I discovered that shocked me, that I really liked. Because Moses, if Moses was writing for him by himself, he would have made a lot of errors. Because Moses was very learned. According to 
Acts chapter 7 verse 22. Bible says that and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in Western. He was well trained. He was well trained. So he, the information he had in those days were the top, top, top intellectual information. In those times. And yet, he didn't say things that were in line with the knowledge of those times. He said things that are far, far, far years later science will discover. Where did he come from? God was speaking. God was speaking. And guess what? God is still speaking today. God is still speaking today. Through us in this Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 that God who in time passed to, to the fathers by the prophets verse 2 has in this last day spoken to us by what? His son. He's this last day he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus said something that in John chapter 17 verse 8 he says the word you gave to me I have given to them all the things I, for I have given to them the words which you gave to me. The things Jesus spoke is not just in, in John chapter 6 verse 63 he says these words I speak to you they are life. They are life. John 6 he said the words I speak to you they are spirit and they are life. In John chapter 14 verse 10 Jesus said I like what he said John chapter 14 verse 10 he said says that, uh, do you not believe that I am in the Father, what well, the Father in me, uh, the words which I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but what the Father who dwells in me does the works. So Jesus said, God spoke to us in times past by prophet, but in this last day in the New Testament, hallelujah, hallelujah, in John 1 and 14 he says, and the word became flesh. Jesus is the living word. Jesus is the living word. Jesus is the living word of God. And God is speaking to us through Jesus. I didn't still get the chance to go on the unity of the Bible. I like the way one preacher puts it. It's just by trying to say that there was a big explosion in the print shop. And the words all fell together in a nice place to form an Oxford dictionary. It's not possible. Someone, there must be an altar behind it. The unity of the Bible tells us that this must be God. This must be God. Next week I'm going to talk about the unity of the Bible. I'm going to talk about the prophecies of the Bible. I'm going to talk about the miracles of the Bible. And I'm going to talk about the morals of the Bible. Morality. Bible tells you forgive your enemies. A higher standard of morality is in the scriptures. That is why in the United Kingdom. Our law was built on Judeo-Christian principle. That is why you can even be bombing us and we will not kill you. We would allow you to go through the, the court systems and then if we are found guilty, we won't murder you, we will, we, uh, we will execute you, we will put you in prison. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you receive anything. Thank you for listening. For more resources, please visit caris.org or call us on 0207-740-9960. God bless you.